Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, we read, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These and many other passages of Holy Writ are the basis of the instruction of our Catechism in Lord's Day 24. But why cannot our good works be the whole or part of our righteousness before God? Because that the righteousness which can be approved of before God, before the tribunal of God, must be absolutely perfect and in all respects conformable to the divine law, as also that our best works in this life are imperfect and defiled with sin. What? Do not our good works merit, which yet God will reward in this and in a future life? This reward is not of merit, but of grace. But doth not this doctrine make men careless and profane? By no means, for it is impossible that those who are implanted into Christ by a true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. This 24th Lord's Day, beloved, is an appendix to Lord's Day 23. Lord's Day 23, as we learned last Sunday morning, speaks of the justification by faith only of mere grace without any work on our part so that as I said last Sunday morning as far as our justification is concerned our works our merits or demerits Our good works or our corrupt works have no weight and no value whatsoever. That must be established. Our righteousness before God and that too that greater righteousness whereby we have eternal life. That righteousness before God is not of us, does not rest in us, but rests 
absolutely alone in God. And in Jesus Christ our Lord. God chose us before the foundation of the world and considered us perfectly righteous and worthy of eternal life. God sent Christ in time who atoned and fully satisfied for all our sins. God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him testimony that he, and not as an individual, but as the representative head of his church, of his people, is perfectly righteous and worthy of eternal glory. God instills into our hearts that justifying faith whereby we are implanted into Jesus Christ and whereby we become conscious and assured of the fact that we are righteous before God, not in ourselves, but with the righteousness that is outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I said last Sunday morning, if you talk about responsibility, Christ is responsible for us. We are no more, not for our sins, not for our actual sins, not for our original sins, not for our good works, not for our good deeds. Christ is responsible for all his people. Now, uh, there is, of course, there are always uh, many objections to this doctrine, this doctrine, this true doctrine of justification by faith. Uh, people sometimes think, beloved, or imagine that the main objection uh, to the Reformed truth is the doctrine of election and reprobation. I don't ever think so. That doctrine of election and reprobation runs throughout Scripture and runs throughout our confession so that it affects every single part of it. And therefore, uh, those that always object to the true Reformed doctrine, beloved, of election and reprobation, also object to every part of the doctrine that follows from that principle of election and reprobation. If you deny election and reprobation, you deny sovereign providence. If you deny election and reprobation, you deny and must deny original sin. If you deny election and reprobation, you must deny Sovereign justification by mere grace. You cannot maintain the doctrine of justification by faith as soon as you deny the doctrine of election and reprobation. 
If you deny the doctrine of election and reprobation, it stands to reason that you must deny the doctrine of free and sovereign grace whereby God implants into our hearts sovereignly and freely the new life. And so it is with all the rest of the doctrine. And therefore, really, the underlying principle of this Lord's Day is that we maintain God in justification, in all the truth. A deny man. That's really the underlying principle. For, beloved, the question is, do not our good works count? Do not our good works have something to do with our righteousness before God. Does it make no difference whether I sin or whether I do good works as far as my righteousness before God is concerned? No difference at all. The catechism says, No, sir! Makes no difference. Not as far as your righteousness righteousness before God is concerned. Makes no difference. What? So the catechism continues in this Lord's day. What? Is it not true that our good works merit and our sins demerit? Is that not true? And again, the catechism says, Oh no, that is not true at all. And in the connection with the whole uh, 23rd and 24th Lord's Day, uh, the catechism really means to say, beloved, merit or demerit has nothing to do with our righteousness before God. Our righteousness before God is first. That must be established. And then, of course, then if you preach that way, and then all those that uh, do not want the Reformed truth, and there are many, even among those that claim to be Reformed, and even among those that claimed to be be Protestant Reformed, and are not, and perhaps never were, in their hearts, otherwise they could never have acted the way they did. If that is true, that our righteousness is not, has nothing to do with our demerit or merit, then I accuse you of making men profane and careless. In other words, I accuse you of denying his responsibility. That's the thing. That's all the case. You must face that, beloved. You must face that. If you want to be reformed, you must, and strictly reformed, if you want to be really reformed, you must not be afraid of that nonsense, that you must face the accusation you deny the responsibility of man. It's well to look at that a minute, because after all, that is important. And therefore, beloved, for the rest, I'll briefly speak on this idea. There is justification in relation to good works. And first of all, I want to emphasize 
that that justification is absolutely of grace. Secondly, I want to emphasize that good works are absolutely of grace. Thirdly, I want to emphasize that the reward is absolutely of grace. Justification of grace, good works of grace, reward of grace. That's reform. That's scripture. That's the word of God. And that is your comfort in life and death. And take it away. Take that truth away. And you deprive the poor believer of all comfort. That's what many did. Oh, the catechism asked here, have not our good works something to do with the justification by faith? And it says, no, it can't because if it would, we would be hopelessly in sin and unrighteousness because our best works are still defiled with sin. And the righteousness that is before God, valid before God, must be perfect. Absolutely perfect. That's the answer of the catechism. That's true. You know, there have been uh, two groups which are really essentially one, of course, uh, that deny this. I mean, that deny uh, that our good works, the good works of the Christian. That we'll be talking about have nothing to do with our justification, with our righteousness before God. The first group, the first large group, I would call uh, anomalists, nominalists. You can also call them downright Pelagians. That's really the same thing as far as religion is concerned. Nominalists are doctrinally and religiously Pelagians. They claim that it may be true that the natural man can do no good works and therefore can do nothing that uh, makes him righteous before God. Uh, but they nevertheless claim that the Christian, the believer, uh, not only is able to do good works, uh, but that his good works are taken into consideration as far as a state of righteousness before God is concerned, so that the Christian is also righteous, say, in part, say, 75% righteous, 90% righteous, 95% righteous, maybe, so that the Christian is also righteous because of a is good works. And they say, in connection with the uh, last question and answer of the Catechism, you must maintain that and you must teach that, otherwise you make the Christian say, it does make no difference whether I sin or not. Whether the Catechism answers, beloved, maintaining absolutely that justification is by free grace only. That if this were not the case, if we were not justified absolutely and 
perfectly righteous before God so that we have the right to eternal life by mere grace without anything else, without the works of the law and without the works even of faith. If that were not true, we would have no moment's consolation. The church would be deprived of all true and real comfort for the simple reason that every believer, every Christian must confess himself that all his works, even the best of his works, are all defiled with sin. And therefore, if God remembers those works, he cannot possibly call and declare us righteous. And that is true, isn't it so? Isn't that so? Isn't that your own confession, beloved? All the works. All my works. The works to which I sign my name in which I may hand in before the tribunal of God. My work, that which I call my work. Say the very best work. Say my prayer. My prayer. Say to be very specific. The prayer I uttered here from this pulpit this morning. If God marks that prayer in such a way that it is not the fruit of the perfect righteousness of God in Christ, but that it is part of that righteousness, I'm condemned. Condemned, I know. I know for myself. My own conscience always condemns me. And my conscience is right. It's right. Oh, I know from the principle of regeneration. Uh, I love the law. Yes. But that is not the only... Uh, motive and that is not the only inclination that characterizes my work beloved my work is defiled with my evil thoughts my, my, with my evil will with my evil soul with my corrupt body and that all, all that work uh, taken as a whole the work from regeneration defiled with all that corruption, which is all my work, it's all mine, cannot stand before God one moment. Anyone dare to say that it can? Anyone here? Of course, you say with me, no, sir. I'm glad it doesn't have to be part of my righteousness. I'm glad it isn't because my righteousness would be never perfect then. That's what the Catechism teaches. Uh, there is another group uh, that is probably uh, closely related to the former group. Uh, mostly the Roman Catholics, beloved. So, certain semi-Pelagians. The Roman Catholics uh, certainly teach that uh, Christ uh, merited our perfect righteousness. No question about that. Justification is pure and free. And uh, Christ merited for us eternal life. Uh, but for the rest, the Roman Catholics say, uh, the Christian, the believer in Christ, uh, still sins, that's all. And the, the sins which he committed, which he commits in this life, are not covered uh, by, uh, uh, simply by uh, that 
perfect justification. No, we are justified as a whole. We are justified from our original sin. We have a right to eternal life. But for the rest, the sins which we committed now uh, must be either uh, covered by penitence, and that penitence is a good work, and that penitence will blot out our actual sins, or it must be counterbalanced by other good works, so that the good works finally are more than the sins, or finally, if that is not the case, then we must do penitence and be cleansed from all those actual sins finally in purgatory. That's Roman Catholicism. Then we finally are, are cleansed in purgatory. That too is the same thing, beloved. Then too, it's hopeless, then it's hopeless because neither penitence, neither my sorrow over sin, neither suffering in purgatory, proof, purification in purgatory, will ever, ever be so perfect, and of course it's all imperfect anyway, that my righteousness will be perfect before God, and then I will never enter in. Hence, uh, there are others uh, that say, you know, we mustn't have anything of good works. That's, that's the opposite group. I don't know whether there really are such people, but they are, well, they are mentioned in doctrine and dogmatics. They are mentioned, always mentioned. They are called the antinomians, antinomians against the law. And they are reputed to teach that uh, well, somewhat as uh, the Apostle Paul represents, presents some people in Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That, they say, is the teaching of the antinomians. They say, let us sin. And then at least grace may appear more glorious in contrast to our sin. That's what they say. That I don't know, I say once more, whether there are really such people that dare to say that. I never read that. But I know there are people that are on the very border of saying that anyway. And in practical life, there are people that are just exactly uh, as the Apostle Paul teaches. And of course, there are also those uh, that oppose the doctrine of free justification by faith, and they accuse us of saying exactly that. Shall, uh, shall we uh, continue in sin that grace may abound? Let us sin that at least has the value that grace may abound. Now, beloved, all this is nonsense. Justification Justification by faith. Justification by mere grace has nothing to do with good works, has nothing to do with sin, nothing, absolutely nothing, and yet does not make the Christian profane and careless. Let's understand that. First of all, then, as I said last week, justification is absolutely first. First. Not, not even regeneration. Not even faith. Not even sanctification. Not even perseverance. Nothing at all. Justification is absolutely first before God. We're justified from eternity. 
before God. Absolutely justified. Sovereignly. God never sees any sin in his people. Never does. Never did. Never did. He always saw them from eternity as righteous. As perfectly righteous. With their righteousness. Not their works. With their righteousness. Not their good works. With their righteousness, beloved. Uh, that overcomes all sin before God forever, eternally. The righteousness which we have before God in Christ. Let's emphasize that. Otherwise you lose your comfort. The righteousness we have before God is so perfect and so great that it absolutely overcomes all sin. Don't have, uh, don't have to be in purgatory. Don't have to, uh, even, even penitence, even repentance, even sorrow after sin has nothing to do with it. Just, I want to be paradoxical because I want you to, I want you to understand that very plainly because that's very essential. I, uh, I explain that briefly. But that must be established first of all. From everlasting to everlasting in God. He had his people with him, engraven in both the palms of his hand. And he loved them and saw them as perfectly righteous before him. He sees no sin in Jacob. Never did. No iniquity in Israel. Well, what is that righteousness? Is it so then that God simply declares what isn't true? Oh, no, beloved. Uh, he saw us from eternity in Christ. He chose us in Christ. And that election in Christ, which is the tie between Christ and his people, uh, is realized in time. He realized in the cross, in the resurrection. And therefore, if you ask, where is that righteousness that is perfect? Perfect. The only righteousness that overcomes sin and that has nothing to do with good works. I say, there, on the cross, in Christ, in Christ, who, as I said last Sunday morning, is my responsibility, not I myself. My responsibility is in Christ. I'm justified, righteous, perfectly righteous. Whether I sin or whether I do not sin. What then? What then? Do we really become antinomian? Oh no, beloved. The catechism says, in answer to the question, does not this doctrine make men careless and profane? The catechism does not say, Oh no, we must also preach responsibility. Catechism does not say that. Uh, the catechism does not say we must also preach to the congregation. You must, you must, you must, you must. Oh no. Oh no. Catechism does not say that. The catechism says this, beloved. It is impossible. It's impossible. What? It's impossible that we are engrafted into Christ so that by faith we are justified and that we do not bring forth fruits of the vine in which we are engrafted. That's impossible. 
Don't have to talk about it. Oh, that question of responsibility. That accusation of uh, denying the responsibility of man smells, beloved. It stinks. It's a wonder. It's a wonder when that question was first raised. Of course, in a paper like Concordia. When that question was first raised in our churches. We didn't immediately smell it a thousand miles away because it stinks. It stinks. It stinks worse than a skunk. And it isn't reformed at all. It isn't. Oh, I would like to explain that to you. We have no time. But briefly, I would nevertheless say a little about that. You know, responsibility is connected with freedom. Freedom. Only one that is free is responsible. Now, freedom, God created Adam with freedom in a limited sense. He was free in as far as he was able to uh, serve the Lord as God. But he could fall. In that sense, he was not free. It's sometimes said that Adam's freedom was a freedom either to sin or not to sin, but that's not freedom, beloved. The freedom of Adam was uh, that he could serve God. That was the freedom of Adam. That he could sin was exactly uh, the limitation of his original freedom. And he fell. Well, and... Uh, he fell in such a way that he was hopelessly uh, a slave. He wasn't free anymore. Not so uh, that he was not a uh, moral responsible being. He was. Of course he was. He still responded to God. That responsibility to respond to God, that responsibility, but he had no more freedom to say yes. He couldn't say yes to God. He said no. Always said no. He was a slave, a slave of sin, because of his fall. He said no. He was responsible for saying no because the moral creature always responds to God. No question about that. But nevertheless, he couldn't say anything else. He couldn't. All that Adam did after he fell and became a slave of sin was this. No, no, no. God said, Thou must, thou must, thou shalt, thou shalt. Love me, love me. Adam said, no, 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 I don't want to love thee. And, mind you, we are born in that state. Don't forget that. We are born in that state. Talk about responsibility. Yeah. Uh, God holds us, you and me, responsible 
in Adam. He does. He holds us responsible in Adam. Oh, yeah. Uh, we too are born in sin, are born in iniquity. And we always say and can say nothing else than no, 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 I don't want to love thee. But we are born with us with such a nature. And for that nature and for that no, God holds us responsible. That's what the what the advocates of responsibility do not want, beloved. They don't want that. They want a free responsibility. Don't you see that? They can't do anything with the responsibility in Adam. That that scripture. Scripture is that we are so responsible in Adam that he was our head and that when he said no, we said no. And when he uh, corrupted our nature so that we... Uh, uh, say no all the time and become slaves of sin we too say no and we are responsible for that no even though yeah what shall I say can't help it no responsible that's what they don't want that's why I said the people that always talk about responsibility uh, do not want responsibility in the true sense of the word. Now there. The elect are also responsible. Responsible in whom? In themselves? They're the law. Responsible before God for their sin, then the law. Responsible before God for their evil nature, then the law. Oh no. God gives the elect faith. God gives the elect faith. And by faith, the elect say, beloved, and that according to the word of God. By faith the elect say, although my conscience accuse me that I have sinned and I do, I do continually sin, nevertheless, I'm righteous. Why? Because Christ is responsible for me. He was responsible for me at the cross. He was responsible for me in the resurrection. He's still responsible for me before God. He intercedes for me. I am responsible no longer in Adam. I am responsible in Christ by faith as a Christian. That's justification by faith. But then, I say once more, beloved, does that mean that we say, let us sin that grace may abound? You know different. Oh, no, the catechism says that, that is impossible. Don't you see that? Plain as daylight. By grace we are justified. By grace we are implanted into Christ. Unless we are implanted into Christ, we can never say that we are justified. Unless we are engrafted into Christ, we can never say that we are elect. Don't you see? That's impossible. But by faith, I say, I am in Christ. All right. By that same faith, through that same channel of faith, through which I am incorporated into Christ, Christ instills into my heart his life. Don't you see? Christ who justifies me, sanctifies me. Christ who gives 
me the faith to believe in justification, gives me the faith to draw my life, my sanctification, my all out of him, so that I say, through that being engrafted into Christ and through that drawing out of Christ the power of sanctification through that I say I hate sin I love righteousness not because that love of righteousness adds anything to my justification it doesn't my justification is perfect. But because I am engrafted into Christ and it is impossible that those who are engrafted into Christ by true and living faith shall not bring forth fruits of righteousness. That's the truth. Justified by grace Good works by grace. And therefore, the reward by grace. That follows, beloved. That follows. All of grace. All of grace. Shall I do something for God? Pretended I, I do something for God? And God put me on the credit side of the list and I claim that credit when I come before him a judgment. Oh, the folly. The folly. I can never do anything for God anyway. And even if I should do something for God all my life long, even even if I should do nothing but good works, even if I should perform, a, my life should be a perfect prayer to the very end. God wouldn't be benefited, would he? God wouldn't be benefited. You cannot benefit God. I would simply still have to say, Oh God, I'm simply an unworthy servant, that's all. Nothing else. I cannot merit anything. I don't claim a reward. Oh no. Oh no. The reward, beloved, is like justification and like good works. The reward is of grace. Of grace. And not of grace as Dr. Kepper had it in his A photo that God gives us a penny to boot or something like that. If, if I send a child to, to the store to do an errand for me, I sometimes give him a penny or even a dime. I don't uh, need to give him that. I simply give him that for encouragement. So Dr. Kepper thinks that's the reward of grace. Oh, no. Oh, no. The reward of grace, beloved, is this. Christ merited everything for us. Merited everything for us. He merited our righteousness. He merited the forgiveness, the complete forgiveness of sins. He merited eternal life. He merited, merited for us exactly the number of good works which you and I may do. Not only in this life, but also in heaven. Christ merited the number of good works which 
every one of us may do in heaven, in eternity, where every one of us shall have his own place. Christ merited that place. Christ merited our gifts. Christ merited our willingness, no, our joy to serve God exactly in that place forever. So that the whole church shall be like one grand chorus, singing the praise and glory of the God of our salvation forever and ever. Christ merited it all. And when Christ merited our justification, our salvation, our redemption, and all our good works, in the very place which we shall occupy in eternal glory, then that is all grace, beloved, don't you see that? That's all grace. Grace for grace. Nothing of ours. Grace forever. Because the God of grace in Jesus Christ our Lord has redeemed us forever unto good works which we may do, not must do, but may do as free sons of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. That will be glory indeed. And that is our only comfort in life and in death, beloved, that it is all grace, nothing else. Amen. Thanks, O Lord, for thy goodness. For thy word, for all thy truth, give us grace to understand and grace to appropriate it in, and believe it in our deepest heart that we may know that we are saved by grace and that nothing else ever enters in but thy grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, we pray wilt thou help us also as thy servant shall take a few weeks' vacation. Uh, grant us grace to remember one another before the throne of grace and we do not know uh, but if thy will be Grant us grace that we may again meet in the appointed time. Amen.